morning, everyone. I'm Tracy Noah from the Marion Library Service, and welcome to our Library Through the Lens live webinar, part of our series of adult programs delivered differently. This morning, thanks to Affirm Press, we welcome Sydney-based author Ashley Kalajian-Blunt as she talks about her book, How to Be Australian, with author of The Things She Owned, Catherine Tomiko Argyle. Ashley's de debut book, My Name is Revenge, was a finalist in the Carmel Bird Digital Liter Liter sorry, Literary Award and was shortlisted for the Wallara Digital Literary Award. Her writing appears in Griffith Review, Sydney Review of Books, Westerly, The Australian, The Big Issue and Kill Your Darlings, and she has a Master of Research in Creative Writing. Please feel free at any time during the presentation to type questions you have for Ashley or Catherine into the chat feed on your screen and I'll ask these at the end of their conversation. Now please sit back, grab a cuppa and welcome Ashley and Catherine. Thanks so much Tracy and good morning Ashley, it's good to see you. Good morning Catherine, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good, it's not too bad, are you getting some decent weather over there in Sydney? We've got some lovely sunshine here. It feels like it went directly from winter to summer in the past two days and like transitioned very quickly. That's something we should be getting used to by now, I guess, that sudden mm. transition. Um, look, I so enjoyed reading How to Be Australian um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you. But before we get on to talking about that, I just wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing for the benefit of people who haven't um followed you yet on social media or read the book so that and also a little bit about how you got into writing and how you came to write my name is revenge oh thank you thank you very much for that Catherine I feel like I should start by acknowledging the traditional owners of country here all throughout Australia but in particular the Gadigal people of the Eeyore nation uh, uh, on whose lands I wrote much of this book and pay my respect to their elders past present and emerging um, I have always wanted to be a writer. I'm one of those people who was, you know, a really big reader as a kid. I was always trying to read books wherever I could. I used to walk home from school with an open book and neighbors would report me to my parents for my <laughs> dangerous behavior. Um, so yeah, I started writing at a young age. I wrote some terrible novels when I was younger. Uh, and then when I was about in my mid twenties, I decided I really, really wanted to write a book about my great grandparents' survival of the Armenian genocide. And so I started researching that. And that was a process, uh, you know, I did research uh, in the community where they lived in Canada. By the time I'd started, they'd been dead for a few decades. So I was researching uh, with my family and the broader Armenian community. And then I ended up spending a couple months in Armenia and doing research there. I did research here in Australia. I interviewed a lot of people in the Armenian community here in Sydney. Uh, so that process went on for a number of years. I wrote a huge book. It was 200,000 words, which is a wow. crazy, yeah, it is an insane length. Like the average book is for people who don't know, probably about 80,000 words. So we're talking two and a half times <laughs> the average book size. Uh, so it, it took many, many, many revisions. Eventually that book morphed into my first book, My Name is Revenge, which um, it is half fiction, half nonfiction. It starts with the assassination of the Turkish Consul General, which is a historical event that took place here in Sydney in December 1980. We're coming up to the, the 40 year anniversary of that assassination. The assassins have never been caught. It is an ongoing investigation. We're getting really true crime here. Yeah. 
ongoing investigation, there was actually an article recently about how police divers were in Sydney Harbour. They'd gotten a tip off about some um, evidence that they could potentially find there. And they did release to the media that they did find not specifically what they found, but that they brought up some items uh, that were barnacle covered, uh, which I just found fascinating. And there's a million dollar reward out for information uh, leading to the people who were responsible for that assassination. It was the Turkish Consul General and his bodyguard were both were both killed. So yes, yeah, so the book starts with that event and it fictionalizes the people who, who could have been involved because that was part of a worldwide movement um, that involved over 200 terrorist actions as the CIA describes them, committed by mainly two, two groups of Armenian terrorists who were seeking justice for the Armenian genocide by uh, by attacking Turkish diplomats around the world. Revenge, um, yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. No, so I was just gonna say the book starts there and then, it, and then the essays at the end provide the context for people so they can understand the broader historical context of the genocide and, and, and the situation today because it's still, still denied by the Turkish government. Yes, true, and still topical. Um, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy that sort of combination of essay versus a bit of fiction. And uh, yeah, it may be that it's gonna come bursting back onto the scene in a big way if they do find out more things. And uh, Which would be that. fantastic. Like that, that, I mean, the people who committed that crime definitely need to be, to be tried and, and hopefully punished for if, you know, if that's still possible. And at the very least acknowledged. Yeah. Uh, you know that's really important story and uh, in your book in to how to be australian you talk a little bit about meeting some of the armenian community members in sydney and you talk about your grandparents who escaped the genocide under really very difficult circumstances so there's a lot of really quite weighty and painful um issues that you talk about um certainly about your armenian heritage so it's, it's such an interesting contrast that overall the impression reading how to be Australian and you look at the cover and it's bright and it's funny, funny as using the expression. There are so many laugh out loud moments as I read it uh, and lots of wry recognition, I have to say, because, of course, I um, um, similarly went through a, a process of acclimatizing to to being in Australia. So everything from there, yeah, the puzzlement over how are you going? Like, you write <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the job application process, a tall puppy syndrome. I laughed aloud when you ate a scroll thinking it was a chocolate scroll only to find it was a Vegemite scroll. Um, um, and then there are other sort of more beautiful and interesting adjustments that you talk about, like not really recognizing trees and wanting to learn about trees and the bird sounds, which are very different in Canada um, and very different from, from England as, as well. Um, one difference I have to say with the Vegemite is that, you know, and I'm going to get lambasted here in the chat, but I'm sorry, but Marmite always, you know, you have to try Marmite, actually. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, um, superior, but I'm going to get into a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> uh -oh. um, um, but, you know, getting serious for a moment, um, you also do within the sort of you interweave in the laughs in the book, and there are plenty. You have some absolutely wonderful um, similes uh, woven through. 
Oh, and before we get on to the serious stuff, I did actually have to talk about your earrings because oh. while we're talking about um, strange Australian biscuits, not cookies, Ashley. <laughs> you tell us in the book that uh, you are not a fan of ice vovos because of the coconut. So can you tell us, can you confirm you have not yet eaten a, an ice vovo? I, yeah, specifically desiccated coconut. I just find the texture of desiccated coconut and conceptually and the way it looks um, horrible, uh, which is why I still have not eaten an ice bobo. Um, But these earrings, actually, I was doing a similar event a few months ago, and one of the people who, who uh, joined uh, got in touch with me on social media afterwards to tip me off about these earrings. She's like, you need to own these earrings and I now own them and I love them. And I, they're, they're just, this is my personal brand now is these earrings. <laughs> I Vovo that you can't eat. But but, yes, I won't eat. <laughs> I had, we had a chuckle earlier too, because um, someone also tipped you off about a limited edition Vovo, right? Which we probably won't have the privilege of watching you eat your debut Vovo. And you, you might have to follow Ashley on social media to get, you know, a view of her eating her first I, Vovo. I could have the worldwide premiere of Ashley eating an ice bobo right now. These are, um, for those of you who don't know, these are ice bobo lamingtons. So they combine two very Australian desserts that I have not, I have had a lamington and of course did not like it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so let's, let's open up. I've had this package. Wow. Let's talk about this. Uh, by everyone. <laughs> Every, everyone following me on social media felt it was very important news to let Ashley know that there were Ice Robo Lamington crossovers. So um, let's let's take a look at these. Um, they they look like an Ice Robo, I guess with chocolate added, I guess that's the difference. It's like a cookie with a, with ice, a sliver of ice. No, it's, a, it's an Ice Robo with a sliver of Lamington on top. <laughs> Tracy, I'm sure you've never had a, an online library event that featured that featured live biscuit trial. Ooh, ooh, okay. This Let's... is a first for City of Marin Libraries, so this is wonderful. And that is Lamington on top of Ice Vovo. And can I just say, Catherine, I disagree. Promite is the superior spread. Oh, I've never heard of Promite. I, I saw a comment from Die Hogs agreeing with me on the Marmite, I have to say. But uh, there's, I think we could have an entire webinar about the comparative, you know, be, um, the, what's better, you know, Marmite, Vegemite and the biscuits in Canada, the UK and uh, Australia. But uh, oh, we're about to see um, Ashley eat an ice vovo. This is... <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah, it's I so it. oh, It just overpowers. <laughs> it overpowers the whole business. I mean, we should applaud Ashley for eating the ice over despite her dislike of uh, desiccated coconut. wants <laughs> one. I would reach out. I should, I have to confess here that I have not yet in, how long have I been here? 15, no, 13 years. Oh. yet eaten on ice bobo oh, we should have coordinated we i should have country packet and we could have had a double bobo eating ceremony yes, next um, time i did um when i started working here um i confessed to staff i was working with at the adelaide festival center that i'd never eaten a tim tam and that really rained down a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, sort of rage on my shoulders and I was promptly got, bought a packet and was shown how to, have you done this yet? Um, drink your tea out of a corner of a bitten off 
The Tim Tam Slam. Yes, yeah, I did not look that into the book, but it should have been there because it's a very important part of Australian culture. So you've, you've certainly been learning. Um, but just to get serious for a minute now, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's so much that's um, hugely entertaining for me as a, as a recent migrant, probably also a lot for Australians to enjoy because having somebody from outside show their perception of your own culture is always, I think, fascinating. Um, and I just wanted to ask you uh, what generally, you know, what your perception overall of uh, Australian readers' responses have been to reading your book. Um, because there are these moments of hilarious, I mean, absolutely hilarious moments, and also your struggles settling in. And, you know, they were very sort of honest and heartfelt. And, you know, my heart strings tugged a bit because I recognize some of those things. But you also address some of the quite serious issues that we found, I think I also found quite problematic coming here. So issues of offshore processing of asylum seekers and a certain segment of society here with the sort of casual and maybe not so casual uh, racism and also the very tricky discussion point of um, the larrikin laughs on uh, on Australia Day versus the the sort of true significance of that for uh, first Australians here. So I just wanted to ask you how you navigated that when you began the book, um, because I felt that it was a really nicely balanced thing. But that's two questions in one. One, how did Australians respond to that? And two, how did you navigate that sort of tricky issue? Okay, so first of all, how Australians responded. It's lovely because I get two sets of responses to the book and the responses have been really heartwarming. Like I love it when readers get in touch with me. Um, like people have been emailing me via my website and getting in touch on Instagram and social media. And so I get, you know, I get people like us who have come to Australia and, and have been, you know, gone through this journey themselves. And it's great because they'll share, you know, things that surprise them. And I've learned all kinds of things from them. And, and they can definitely relate to all of that. And they, and they talk as well about things that they struggled with, like, like Australia Day. And then I get those response from Australians, which has been so lovely. Because really, I, I mean, I knew that people like us would, um, would relate to the book and would get a lot out of it and enjoy it. But I really wrote this book for Australians. Like I really wrote it to both like share my love. It's like a love letter to Australia in a way. But it's, as you say, it's a critical love letter because I, I, I feel like I have to acknowledge, um, you know, these, these issues that Australia, that Australia struggles with and is grappling with and, um, and how I experienced that as a newcomer as well. And so uh, the Australian response has been so lovely because um, Australians who've read the book have gotten in touch with me, you know, and I, when I say that, I mean born and raised Australians, um, gotten in touch to say uh, how much they've enjoyed it and that they've learned things about their country. They were, they're always surprised that they learn all these things that they didn't know about Australia because I've collected all these little tidbits over the years, um, like one of them being, for example, the Birdman of the Coorong, who is there to represent South That's Australia. Right. And it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, and then they also acknowledge, they, uh, you know, generally the people who get in touch with me acknowledge that they say, oh, you know, I'm really happy also that you address these more serious aspects and it's really good to see that. Um, so it's been really rewarding. The response to the book has been really fantastic. Yeah, um, now, remind me of the second part, oh, how I navigated writing yeah. that, right. Uh, yes, that was very tricky. Mm -hmm. The book started as comedy. It started as pure comedy. 
but then as I was writing it and as the book develops, I realized that I, it, I couldn't talk about, you know, loving Australia and being an Australian, how I developed an Australian identity without talking about more of the complex aspects of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, going back to what I was talking about with My Name is Revenge, after spending nearly a decade studying the mechanics of genocide and the ongoing impacts on families and communities who were, you know, who were targeted, mm-hmm. I'm acutely aware of the injustice and the moral deficits uh, in Australia's treatment of asylum seekers. And so I felt that like, given the immense privilege of becoming a citizen, that also came with a responsibility to be politically engaged and to agitate for change mm-hmm. and to talk about these issues and to support the work of organizations doing, you know, like great work, like the Refugee Council of Australia. And same with indigenous rights, you know, it's a massive challenge to address such deep rooted historical injustice. And we have the same, you know, issues in Canada, Um, especially when the reality of that injustice has been largely hidden or denied and remains so unknown by so much of the population. And that's, you know, when I read Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu, which I mentioned in the book, um, it just made me aware of how much we don't know about Australia's indigenous peoples and the incredible knowledge that they had and how much of that has been destroyed and, and that ongoing process. And, um, and just what a tragedy that is for all of humanity. Like that's a loss for all of us. Yeah. And so I felt that, you know, becoming a citizen again, I needed to talk about these issues and to continue educating myself by reading Australia's indigenous authors and, and supporting and promoting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people like Stan Grant and Claire Coleman and Tara June Winch, of course, but even, you know, debut authors, there's an author here in Sydney named Nardi Simpson, who's got a book coming out called Tears of the Crocodile. And I'm really, really excited about that. And I'm looking forward to, to reading that and sharing that with people as well. Um, so yeah, I felt the, the more I worked on the book, the more I realized you couldn't, like you can't have one side without, you can't have the light side without the serious side. So I'm glad that you felt like the balance came off. It did. It did come off extremely well. Because in the end, there is that dissonance that we just have to live with in terms of what we observe here and now. Mm. Uh, The description of the skateboarding with the esky on top coming down the hill while also being mindful that was on Australia Day on Mm -hmm. that day and just being mindful of what that meant um, without sort of, uh, it never felt in any way kind of hectoring. It was your own sort of discomfort and musings, which came very naturally interspersed with these moments of comedy. And I think sometimes comedy can be a really effective way or or sort of sandwiching these things between moments of humor um, and sort of humanness really um, can be really, really effective. So um, I just wanted to ask then really, given that when you started the book, I mean, what was it? It was, by the time you started it, you'd been in Australia, what, five, five years? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I know certainly having been here for a while that my perception of Australia has changed, my attitude towards it has changed and Australia itself has changed. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, how has your view of Australia changed since you finished the book? And how does that balance against how you feel Australia itself has changed? If that's not a... Right. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And uh, so the book is set from 2011 to 2016. 
partly because 2016 is when I got citizenship and I felt like that was a nice bookend. It starts with my arrival, it ends with citizenship. And, and, and then there's a special extra bit right after citizenship where I'm actually engaging with the process of citizenship, which I felt was very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and but I started writing the book in 2015. So really, I started writing it around the time like that that story was ending. And I finished writing the book actually the start of this year. <laughs> it was it came out in June, so um, there was a lot of rewriting that happened over the Christmas holidays last year. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> but really, in terms of in terms of, I mean, actually, I was writing it at the time of the bushfires and feeling. Yeah. I'm feeling, I guess, sort of selfishly relieved that I didn't have to think of something you know, smart and meaningful to say, well, all that was going on because that was so devastating and upsetting and so raw at that time. Yeah. Um, so I was really glad the book was ending in, in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like the bushfires and how they changed Australia. Um, yeah. well, that, particularly that, that past season. Mm-hmm. I hope that that means issues, you know, certain issues like traditional burning are going to be taken far more seriously. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how the Australia's changed, part of what I tried to look at in the book, just slightly, just hinting at it, is that you know, for all the for all the the bad issues that, that I raised, the complex, difficult, challenging things that Australia is grappling with, there are ways that Australia has changed in a really, really positive way. And when the book ended in 2016, for example, same-sex marriage wasn't wasn't legalized and now it is and so the books the book sort of hints at that and it says like oh you know this is a thing when we came from Canada it had been legalized for so long there that it was sort of like stepping back in time this like I was like oh wow I never would have guessed like never would have guessed that wasn't also legal here so I wanted to show that you know we 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 are changing we can change and we are capable of that and um yeah I'm really uh I guess in in that sense proud to be part of part of a country that is that is willing to make those um have those hard debates and yeah 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 I love the fact that you use the 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 word we because uh you are clearly now Australian obviously a citizen as well as as I am too um but there's an interesting little uh segment in the book where you mention back home Mm -hmm. and obviously that was a while ago but do you ever catch yourself still sort of saying that meaning Canada because your parents are still in Winnipeg is that right it is right yes absolutely all my all my family is in Canada and same with Steve's family and we do yeah I was just saying yesterday we were supposed to be going home for Christmas this year and of course we are not and we're not sure when we're going to get home and I think I think that we you know can have an understanding of home as uh you know, multiplicitous, like it's not, it doesn't have to be just one thing. It can be many things to any individual. And, and so I feel, you know, very lucky to have, to have that sense of multiple homes, Mm -hmm. uh, multiple places, because when I, when I, I'm in Canada, I miss things about Australia and Sydney very, very acutely. It's the birds, like anywhere I go in the world that's not Australia, just like, where are the birds and why are they not constantly making strange and wonderful noises? And especially the kookaburras, right? Oh, they're just, they're still, like, they still just light up my life. They're just... You have to explain to people who haven't read the book yet that you and Steve, your your partner, almost have a kind of ceremonial kind of reception. Whenever you hear kookaburras, you go into a moment of silence, right? To just exactly. And we still do that. We're talking, like, either of us, we will, and we hear a kookaburra, we'll stop. And we will both stand there and we'll listen, like even if we can't see the bird, it's just like this this moment of of just 
gratitude for for how wonderful the you know the world can be it's an extraordinary sound um where i live on the coast of uh, uh northern metropolitan adelaide I, you don't really get kookaburras here and uh, i hear them more often in sydney but i have to say when i hear them i start laughing um <laughs> i find them just very joyful um and uh, i think this has been mentioned before when you've been interviewed about the book but a, an amazing discovery was that monkey sounds in hollywood movies are actually not monkeys right so yes the first time i heard kookaburras i did not see them i was walking across sydney uni campus and i heard this sound and my brain i started looking around and my brain went ah oh, i didn't know there were monkeys in australia that's they obviously they're invasive like somebody brought brought them here probably to shoot you know the british bringing in their animals to go on their, yeah, their british <laughs> because one fact that was in the was in the book for a long time but i think was pulled at the last minute someone brought over 12 moose from canada from from north america but let's assume canada someone brought over 12 moose and just let them loose in western australia hoping that they would breed and then you know we, we can have our, our moose hunting out in the outback yeah. uh, and apparently they did not survive although there are still rumors of wild moose in western australia which is just one of my favorite facts but going back to kookaburras I assumed this was monkeys and then I kept walking and my brain was sort of ticking that over and then I thought oh no wait that was kookaburras like I just heard them for the first time I called them kookaburras at that time um and I I thought I just thought oh wow Ashley you're not very smart like you why did you think that was monkeys but then I was I was doing some research into this and yes as you said a Hollywood producer at some point decided that kookaburras sound more like monkeys than monkeys themselves do. And so when they're doing a jungle scene setting shot in a lot of movies, you won't see them, but you'll just hear like this, this, this sound in the background, which as a North American, I was trained by Hollywood to believe was monkeys because, you know, in the Costa Rican jungle or wherever Indiana Jones is, you're, you're assuming that, well, it was obviously there's monkeys there. And that, so Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jumanji, like all those kind of movies, you will hear that sound. And so I thought this was more of a recent thing, but then I've done some more research. This goes back, this, this goes back to the 1930s. Apparently the Tarzan okay. movie and the Wizard of Oz used the kookaburra sound. So this is just has been a long running con that's been running on, on people out of Hollywood. So yeah, pay attention yeah. to that sound. I hope the, the kookaburras are getting their uh, paid dues, you know, for their voices being used for licensing. Um, but that was a fascinating fact I read. I had no idea. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the, the strange thing really about, uh, in a way, I'm sort of segueing into the idea of perceptions of Australia before you come here. And certainly for the UK because of Paul Hogan's ad campaign, you know, where the bloody hell are you and throw a shrimp on the barbie and you just imagine everyone, well, not quite, but you know, the idea of crocodile dundee and corks off hats and throwing shrimps on barbies and everyone being, women being called Sheila. And of course you get here and it's very, very far from, from the truth. So, um, you know, how long did it take you for, you talk a bit about it in the book, but you know, was there anything that you, your perception of Australia that you sort of continued to hold on to? I mean, many years after living here, is that, or is there nothing, everything sort of out window in terms of what you thought Australia would be? That is a great question. I think 
one thing is because you have these sort of you know especially when you're young I at least had these static images of like what what Australia was and so almost like you know tick, check boxes that I could tick off and one of those was definitely visiting the opera house and like you know that's just this iconic um image like globally around the world like you know that image is associated with Sydney and it and going to the opera house just not not to attend an event but just physically being in that vicinity when you've got that view of the harbor with the bridge and 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 the botanic garden and um, Milton's point across the across the way and the ferries going past and every time I go there I just feel that that same joy particularly because and I mentioned this in the book you can any, any day of the year, I mean, maybe it's different this year because I actually haven't been, I haven't left the house much this year, um, as I'm sure many people Sorry. have not. Uh, but um, uh, you can go there and you can see people who are, they're clearly there for the first time and they're so excited to be there. Like they're clearly like achieving a dream that they've had, you know, they probably spent a lot of money to get there and they're getting their photo taken and they're just joyful. They're just joyful. And you can just go and like a vampire, just like suck up their joy and be like, Oh, look, I'm here. This is just, it's just one. magical. So that's definitely something. And I think, um, you know, when I actually get out into the outback, like I, um, I went to Uluru and you know you, you feel that real sense of of the urine just a really special and unique place mm -hmm. uh, so yeah a few things like that but I'm very disappointed in the snakes like man I thought there would be snakes everywhere and I I still not had a personal encounter with a snake and <laughs> someone needs to talk to whoever's in charge of snakes in this country because they're not living up to their reputation I think the people who find them in their toilets in their kitchens probably would disagree with you there. I think maybe you need to spend some more time up in Queensland, but we get them here just along the, the oh. uh, coastal path here. Right, okay. Running down there once and I had a runner stop suddenly in front of me and say, watch out, and there was a brown snake coming across. Mm -hmm. So yeah, come and meet some snakes and sharks and redbacks um, in South Australia because have, you haven't yet made it over here. I spent one day in Adelaide, which isn't in the book because it was I, there were, I wasn't there long enough to have a to have a compelling story to put. So we drove from uh, Adelaide to uh, the Great, Great Ocean Road, which was wonderful and amazing. And I did get one really good, really good story out of that, um, which is the Birdman of the Kurong. Yeah. Because we went through the town of I'm I'm not going to pronounce this right Meningi 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 Menin Actually, I'm not sure. Is it Meningi? We, people, uh, Tracy, how do you pronounce yeah. it? <laughs> it's Meningi. 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 <laughs> Great. Thank you, um, yes. So, I can't pronounce it yet. <laughs> we went through Meningi and um, saw the, the Birdman of the Kurong statue and just felt instantly in love uh, with him. He, he is amazing. That um, is an extraordinary story. I love that. I'm not sure if everyone listening, South Australians, I've, I've mentioned this to South Australians and some people don't know about the... Uh, oh. The man who wrote an emu, right? The, the brief rundown of the Birdman, but you can you can go because it's not that far. I think from memory from Adelaide, so you can yes. go there and get your photo. There's a life size statue. So the Birdman of the Kurung was um, Irish. He was this really really tiny guy, uh, like four feet or something, and he was a, a bush ranger. And he's my favorite bush ranger because he rode around on emu back, and he would rob people apparently he loved to rob women of of jewelry and so and then he would wear the jewelry at riding you and they think he had in today's money like a million dollars worth of jewelry 
and he, you know, he was notorious and, and whatever. But then one day uh, he tried to rob somebody and the, the guy had a gun and, and shot him. And he took off, the Birdman took off on his, on his emu and raced into the Kurong. And this is why he couldn't be caught is because the, the Kurong is a sandy, sandy marsh. And so horses can't make a lot of traction on that. So this guy, whenever he was being chased, he would take off in the Kurong and, and get away on his emu because the emu could, you know, go so fast over this terrain. So this guy, he was shot and he was bleeding, but the, the emu was racing away and he raced off into the Kurong. And the guy who shot him tried to pursue on his horse. Uh, and he could see that this guy was bleeding really, really heavily. And so he, knew, he was like, pretty sure. He's like, there's no way he's gonna survive that out there, you know, not getting any help, medical, medical help. And he was never seen again. So apparently his body is, is out there somewhere in the Kurong with all this million dollars worth of jewelry. And you can go and you can uh, take a metal detector and, and try to find it. Now this, I'll, I'll put an asterisk on this story, which is that it may be entirely apocryphal. And I don't care. He's still my favorite bush ranger, real or fictional. It really is a great story. I was told that by one of the guides when you go on a boat down to the Murray mouth, because yes. it's quite hard to navigate. So you do need someone who knows what they're doing. And we'd walk across the sandy flats to that beautiful stretch of part ocean, part land at the Kurong. It is an absolutely stunning place. And uh, he told us this story, but oh. the image he painted was, you know, not only was he wearing the jewelry, but was, also fond of the ball gowns that he robbed. Oh, the I didn't know that detail. Oh. Some, you know, vibrant pink uh, silk ball gown as he rode the emu. And I just think what a fantastic story, um, whether true or not. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think um, I certainly enjoy the, the sort of incredibly colourful stories and legendary stories um, uh, of, you know, Australian sort of recent history. Um, but, you know, just now, uh, you, I'm not sure how many people listening actually had not heard the story of the Birdman of the Kurong, but, you know, it, as someone, as an outsider, I mean, you, it, you know, the, sub, the subtitle underneath How to Be Australian is an outsider's view on life and love down under. So in your view, in what ways do you feel as an outsider you've brought uh, an understanding of Australian culture to Australians, apart from what you've already mentioned, which is, you know, those serious issues. But mm. how do you think your outside of viewpoint will sort of uh, tickle Australians? <laughs> well, I think that's the thing is that I, because I'm an outsider, I pay attention to things that, like, if you've grown up here, you probably have just learn to overlook just because you've you know they've been there your whole life and i and after i wrote this book i realized wow i wish someone had written this book about canada that i could have read when i was younger you know a teenager or in my early 20s because i think it would have given me a different perception of my own country and, and made me look around at it differently and um and i love canada but i i think you know when you grow up there you just uh the hard things are the things that you pay attention to, particularly the weather. And I was, I met up with another Canadian um, reader who got in touch with me, um, who told, she was like, I think I'm your twin. I'm like an Armenian Canadian who moved here to attend the University of Sydney with my husband. <laughs> so, we, so we met up for coffee and, um, and we were just, we were talking about how just hard Canadian winters are in terms of, you know, the amount of clothing you've got to have and, and how hard it is on your vehicle and that you've got to switch out your tires for snow tires and, and all this stuff. So you, you pay attention to the hard things. 
but I as an you know when I came to Australia I started to pay attention to all the stuff that I that I really loved and that I've just found so interesting for like that kookaburra sound for example never would have given that a second thought living in, in North America um or the or the birdman of the Kurong, like a lot of Aussies don't know that story and I and I just delight in sharing it with them or or the fact that there's a there is a kangaroo gargoyle uh, Sydney Uni, the sandstone quadrangle built to, you know, in, in um, like the image of Oxford. And all these traditional gargoyles, you know, looking real serious and mean and menacing. And then just right over one of the main entrances, there's this kangaroo just hanging out with the rest of the gargoyles. And I just, to me, that's like, that's the Australian humor just like distilled into like one perfect image. I just love those things. So point a new term because you called it a rugoyle I think. Rugoyle, yes because it's, it's not a it's not a kangaroo gargoyle it is very much a rugoyle so I and I and I you know I wish there were more of it would be amazing if they were all rugoyles. Um, and I I have not observed that in the campus I'll have to look out for that next time I'm passing or oh, like the mug mm. um, but also the one in Canberra so you mentioned the uh, you know the very masculine aspect of that kangaroo which sort of tied in quite nicely with the gift that Steve bought you at one point. Uh, oh, yes, that's actually, that's a good connection. Yes, the, the stainless steel uh, coat of arms over the main entrance to Parliament House. Um, you know, and this, this was in the ABC News because I think a lot of Australians were really just puzzled by it. But if you missed that news story, it's, you know, it's always surprising to learn about it from, from an outsider. But yeah, the, the stainless steel... Um, coat of arms over Parliament House, the kangaroo, for some reason, um, his like quite outsized genitalia was included in the statue because because someone decided that he that the kangaroo had to be male, which is not in the coat of arms charter. And if you look at most renditions of the coat of arms, like there's no gender to either of the animals. Uh, and uh, but I yeah, I've never actually hadn't made that connection myself. But you can also. Um, by kangaroo uh, testicles <laughs> that have been made into a coin purse, which is one of my favorite favorite things about Australia. You go into certain tourist shops, they, you know, that's an item you can purchase. Mm, strange gifts to give visitors. <laughs> um, I have to say, you know, there are lots of ruse that you can come across relatively easily here in South Australia. Can you tell everyone I'm, I'm selling South Australia to Ashley, but uh, koalas and, and uh, I think it's just because we're not quite as populated and as busy as Sydney. Um, but I have to say when I first saw a kangaroo, I was absolutely blown away. They're just absolutely beautiful animals, wonderful, wonderful animals. Um, so I, I have so many more things I want to ask you, but we haven't got much time left. So I kind of really wanted to ask you two questions. One was what next in terms of your writing? And then if you could then let us know what your top tips are for new reading of books, the many, many books that are emerging at the moment, having been delayed by the, the coronavirus. So, um, so what next? Right. Great question. Um, I am currently working on a psychological thriller. So, so my name is Revenge, as I said, the first, the fiction a portion of my name is Revenge as a thriller. Uh, that is my true love when it comes to when it comes to fiction. Um, I read very widely and I love nonfiction. I love memoir. Um, was I think what led me to write memoir. But I also I really truly truly love thrillers. 
And so I wanted to, I wanted to give a try at writing a, a full length thriller. So that's what I'm working on now. And, and I'm reading a lot of books about the dark web. I'm reading a lot of books about trolling culture, um, men going their own way and men's rights activists. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying that, that research and writing process. So we'll see what happens there. But um, who, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what is next. It, you know, it could be that if I can pull it off, it could be, it could be, could be more memoir. Um, I'm really interested in writing about um, work and how people like develop professional identities because um, like if you compare Steve and I in the book like you can see we're like in terms of the way we've approached developing a profession and, and finding finding a work that uh, satisfies us with very different paths. Um, because for Steve, sorry to interrupt, you know, you say his, his work is very much a big part of his identity. And obviously as a writer, it would be yours as well. But, you know, it's a sort of very broad kind of area. But sorry, I interrupted. No, yeah, that was a great point. Yeah. And, and it was really interesting because when we first arrived, Steve was completely dislocated because he didn't have a job. As soon as he had a job in his profession, he was, he was so much more relaxed and comfortable and, and never, ever had a qualm about belonging again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Lisa, we'll see. We'll see what comes next. Will be a surprise to all of us. <laughs> we'll have to keep, keep sign up to Ashley's social media accounts and just uh, keep tabs on what she's up to next. And then, very briefly, what books are you enjoying or recommending to us at the moment? Excellent. Yeah, I want to. I want to recommend some debut authors. So this is Elizabeth Tan, Smart Ovens for Lonely People. Oh. It's a collection of short stories. Uh, she's. She is. It's just. If you've read, um, and I wanted to compare it, if you've read Julie Coe's Portable Curiosities, which was a debut book from a couple of years ago, really just like memorable, um, I like to think of it as like Technicolor short stories. I still remember them, so many of them so clearly, um, just bright and interesting, and, and, but also really poignant. Uh, so I feel like Elizabeth Tan is, is uh, writing in that, in that tradition of Julie Coe, and so she's, uh, she's really exciting. Um, I'm enjoying this collection a lot, and uh, and we're going to be. I do a podcast about uh, writing, creativity, and health, and we're going to be interviewing Elizabeth Tan coming up uh, soon. So I'm excited to speak to her about that. Uh, I also want to recommend Haley Katzen's Untethered. If you like memoirs and you you know interested in reading perspectives on Australia, Haley is from uh, South Africa, and she moved here. Uh, you know, she, urban academic who ended up living rurally uh, on a cattle ranch and uh, becoming a, um, a volunteer fiery. So this is this book came out in June as well. Uh, it's really just fantastic writing um, and a lot of connections with mine. Our books were actually reviewed together in uh, Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Um, and of course, I am absolutely going to recommend uh, the things she owned, if you haven't read it yet, it's... Ah, oh, you're a sweetie. Thank you. <laughs> it's such a gorgeous book. And, and again, ties into a lot of those themes in my first book, In My Name is Revenge, Intergenerational Trauma, and how we grapple with history, both on a personal and, and uh, cultural level. Uh, so this is wonderful. And if you want to hear more of Catherine and I chatting, you can hear the reverse of this conversation where I get to interview Catherine on our podcast so you just look up James and Ashley stay at home on your favorite podcast app and you can hear uh, me and my co-host talking to Catherine about this gorgeous book, which if you haven't read it, definitely go out and get it. Oh, you're lovely. Thank you. That's lovely. There are some fantastic podcasts on there too. With You interview, um, you talk with Lee Kaufman as well, don't yes. you? Which is a yeah. really fantastic um, uh, interview. So 
Well, I think we're sort of running short of time and I suspect there might be a few questions. So thanks so much, Ashley, and um, really fun to chat. We'll probably carry on chatting a bit, but maybe I'll ask Tracy to come in and uh, maybe share some of the questions that people might have been posting in the chats. Well, sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Ashley. And talking about what's next, so I just want to ask, as you discover more amusing stories about Australia, such as the Birdman of Kurung and the... Uh, what was it, the Rugoyle? Yeah, the Rugoyle. <laughs> the Rugoyle. Will you work these maybe into a follow-up part two book? Well, those are in the, those are in How to Be Australian, but I'm definitely, I'm still, I'm continuing to learn more. So it, yeah, it's something actually, uh, an Australian author, Jay Martin, who has a book called Vodka and Apple Juice, which is about her and her husband, uh, who are, who are, you know, born and raised Aussies, going to live in Poland for three years. And so she, which is a gorgeous book and very funny, but also, you know, grapples with, um, you know, the, the history of the Holocaust in Poland. So another wonderful book, if you enjoyed my book or Catherine's, I think you'd enjoy um, Jay Martin's book. But she and I were talking, so she went and lived in Canada for three years after that and lived in Edmonton and lived through the winters. And she said, oh, you know, maybe we should go and write uh, we should just go and explore rural and regional Australia together and maybe look at writing a book about that. And I think that would be so much fun. So, you know, when we can travel freely and safely again, that you never know, Tracy, that might be good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that does sound fun. There's lots of um, funny, interesting, amusing stories to discover in Australia, as you've been finding out. So, you know, mm -hmm. pop to some of these questions. You have answered the second part, I think, of this one from Judy. What is your favourite place you've visited so far in Australia and have any of your family followed you here to live? Oh, great question. Thank you. Um, a favorite place is so hard because I love I love just discovering more and more of Australia. We were out in Coonabarabran recently, which is in regional New South Wales, and that's where the uh, you know you get those really gorgeous. Uh, they have the uh, observatory there, uh, so you know because you, you get those really gorgeous views of the Milky Way, and and it, so and that was beautiful. And then we drove we drove from there uh, out to the coast via Tamworth and through uh, this you know state forest and the drive was just beautiful it was incredibly beautiful i couldn't believe no one had told me like hey go drive um i've forgotten that i think it's the oxley highway but it was gorgeous I, but i think maybe my favorite place might have been uluru it was just really really special and i just i just felt so calm there there's just this like just calm i felt just radiating up from the ground it was just a really gorgeous experience and was there another part to that question that i've forgotten yeah, I think you have answered it, though, earlier in your talk. Um, just have any of your family followed you here to live? Yeah, no, no, but no uh, family has followed me here to live yet because our, our parents, they all have grandchildren in Canada. So I think if, the, if grandchildren weren't a factor, they might, they might be here with us. But we want to stay close to the grandkids for now. Of course. Um, Wendy says, have you noticed any similarities between Canada and Australia? Oh, Wendy. Yes. I mean, similarities, the similarities were one of the things that drew us here and created this false impression that, oh, Canada and Australia, you know, basically the same place except for the weather. Uh, but um, like, you know, obviously the language, the same language, we've got that same colonial history. Um, I think, you know, Canada has that reputation for being very nice and polite and kind. I actually think Aussies might be nicer. I have a whole theory about this that relates to the fact that 
in Canada, because we go through those real hard winters, they actually, it's hard to be nice and kind and polite. Maybe we don't get a lot of tourists at that time. Maybe that's why that hasn't snuck out in terms of our national reputation. But Oz is because we have good weather so much of the year. I just find people here year round are friendly and polite and wonderful. Oh, that is so nice of you. That's <laughs> lovely. Uh, <laughs> uh, Judy says, did you come across any specific challenges in writing the book? And are you working on another book at the moment, which we have already heard about as well? Uh, yeah, so specific challenges. I think one thing was definitely, um, you know, writing about the more serious aspects that Catherine and I discussed. Those were the hardest parts of the book to write. In terms of getting the tone right, in terms of like, and in terms of... In terms of showing like what I thought Australia would be like before I arrived, you know, like I did no research before coming here. Uh, so like what, what my perception was and then how, what I discovered living here and sort of how those discoveries um, impacted my perceptions of Australia. That, those, were the, those were the most challenging parts to write. And technically, just in terms of the actual writing, finding a structure for the book, which, I mean, the book is really simple. It's a chronological structure. But conceptually, in my head, it started as a collection of essays. So making that transition from collection of essays around very specific topics to much more personal story of myself and my husband, uh, that, you know, that took a, it was quite a process to make that transition. Sorry, I didn't realise I was muted. There we go. <laughs> Just a comment from Beth. Um, hi, Ashley. I've been in Australia from Canada for 27 years and also haven't had an iced Vovo. She says mint, slide, mint slice is her favourite. And she's famous, she's famous with her Aussie friends for Thanksgiving pumpkin pie next weekend. Oh, Beth, you're going to have to like, email me through my website or something and tell me where, like, do you, do you cook the pumpkin yourself and which pumpkin? Because I... I found like our, you know, cans of pumpkin at David Jones years ago in the, in their, you know, imported food section. I can't find canned pumpkin and my attempts to cook down the pumpkin have been watery and terrible. I am missing pumpkin pie like you would not believe. Please get in touch with me. There's some in a shop in Adelaide, actually. <gasps> really? Oh, pumpkin. Adelaide. Adelaide is where it's at. Yeah, <laughs> well as pumpkin pie we you know we've got snakes and pumpkin pie oh, <laughs> yeah brown snakes i like i want this <laughs> um carol i think you've also answered carol's question what was the most difficult section to write and why specifically carol really specifically there is a scene i don't know if you've read the book but there's a scene where I'm in the Blue Mountains and it's when I'm trying to show when I first learned about um, the Australian treatment of asylum seekers currently and just the shock, the shock of that, not going into too much detail, but, but just trying to convey the emotional weight of that, particularly, you know, my great grandparents were survivors of genocide and so that, um, the, and I was actively researching that, writing a thesis on it for my master's degree at that time. So that scene went through a lot of iterations. I had a lot of people helping me with that scene. So that one was really hard. It succeeded. Mm -hmm. We don't have any more questions from our listeners. So I don't know if you've got anything else, oh. Catherine, you wanted to ask, Ashley, or share with us, Ashley? I have a question for Catherine, which was if she had any, any, any debut authors that she wanted to, to share, to recommend to us. Well, I've kind of been reading a lot around what I'm writing at the moment. Um, and what, and what, can I ask what that is? <laughs> it's 
very difficult to describe. I mean, I suppose for want of a better description, it's a food-based memoir, but it's a lot about seasonality in Japan um, and experiences of growing up in Japan. But there are a lot of uh, issues that I talk about that will be familiar to you about where is home and what identity is and, you know, where is home? Actually, that was a question I was going to ask you. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of looking into um, aspects of Japanese food culture that I just took for granted but didn't fully understand. So when you said that there are some Australian people who are surprised by what you've written in How to Be Australian, you know, when I look up certain things, I think, oh, okay, so that's what the English translation of that food is or how it's grown or what the issues are around that. So, yeah, that, it's, it's a nonfiction book. But in can terms I, of... Can I just say, if you haven't read Catherine's book, the descriptions of Japanese meals <laughs> and cooking in her book just were just one of my favorite parts. So beautiful, so evocative, and made me really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell I, I like my food, you know, um, and so I enjoy writing descriptions of food. And this, I think we'll have a few... I'll see how I can work it in, but a few recipes uh, woven in as well. But in terms of what I'm reading at the moment, um, I obviously I, I read your book again, really enjoyed that, but I've just started reading this, Kawakami Mieko's book, um, oh. Rest and Eggs, and she, what I'm really um, excited about at the moment, I mean, we've always had English translations of Japanese authors, um, the traditional authors like Soseki Natsume, Natsume Soseki, you have to say it the right way around, or um, Haruki Murakami, but that contemporary Japanese writers, um, Yoko Ogawa is another one, so The Memory Police, that's not quite so debut now, uh, but it came out in an English translation earlier this year, and then this uh, Mieko Kawakami is extremely well known in Japan. She was um, extremely young when she was nominated for the Akutagawa Prize, which is one of the greatest literary awards in Japan. Mm -hmm. And her sort of description really of what it is to be a woman in Japan, mm -hmm. um, hidden aspects that really run counter to lots of sort of general perceptions about Japan, I think is a really fantastic thing to read. Um, what else? I've just got an older book, actually, Julianne Van Loon's The Thinking Woman. So that's a nonfiction book, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and... Yeah, I'm rather embarrassed to say that right now I have not been reading a huge amount outside of what I'm researching. So, but uh, yeah, that's, that's really get get that next book out, Catherine. We're waiting. I, I just need to get it out. Get it out so I can sit and read to my heart's content of anything mm -hmm. I want to read. <laughs> um, One of the things I don't tell you about being an author, like and, and being in the community, is that all of a sudden, like. You have, you have to be reading certain things, A, for research, and B, so that you, like, can talk about, you know, you do events like this. So suddenly, you're, like, your free reading time is, is, is slim to nil. Really, really slim down. I do find that I was, that was a surprising discovery and, and quite frustrating, actually. And I sort of dream, I'm enjoying writing the book mostly. <laughs> um, I, I try and get out of that mindset of it. Oh, it's a huge struggle. Um, there is desiccated but, coconut all over my desk right now. It's just like that, that one cookie. Just that like says it all. <laughs> I think I definitely have to go and eat nice vovo now. Um, report but, back. Uh, I, need a, <laughs> I need a report. Don't get it into your keyboard. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, the um, the book is quite pressing at the moment because the deadline for the first full draft is is next week. Um, oh, 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 gee, thank you for doing this. <laughs> it, I tell you what, it's really nice because this is another thing, right? One of the tricky things about navigating a new manuscript is that you need your break to have a rest outside as well, which doesn't quite stretch to the time you'd like to read completely unrelated books. Yes. Um, yes. But it's those, I find, actually, this will segue nicely if we have time, which I think we do. Question into kind of the way you write, um, because I, I've been thinking a lot about generative writing processes and random bits of synchronicity where you'll hear someone talk about something and it relates to what you're writing or you pick up a book and the page opens amazingly at something that makes you go bing. So um, tell us a little bit about your writing process, you know, from first draft to finish the hard yards at the end but um oh my gosh we could probably spend a whole hour talking about this yeah, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh it's it's changed a lot so one of the reasons the book ends in 2016 uh, it was a good fit but it worked out also very well because at the end of 2016 i started to become very ill i was uh, and then the next year i was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome uh which is why the podcast that i do is partly about health my co-host also has a chronic illness. And so my writing process has changed a lot since then. Um, yeah. So right now I'm, I'm finding actually, it's interesting because I'm actually struggling the most that I've, I have probably since I started writing regularly. Yeah. And it's simply because the illness is so unpredictable and so volatile. And just when I think that it's, uh, you know, that I've got a, I can get a, develop a routine, something changes. And, uh, so, so right now I'm finding actually that all of that, um, a bit of a struggle and I'm trying just to return to just, just the joy of sitting down and just playing with my ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not anywhere near, you know, a deadline, a complete first draft. I, uh, I feel like, uh, so much of myself has been stripped away by illness, um, and that was also part of, you know, this book evolving when I said it started as a pure comedy book. At the time I was doing stand-up comedy, but that was one of the first things that the illness stripped away from me was that I could no longer, I didn't have the energy to go and perform in the evening. So I was, you know, going to bed much earlier and um, I couldn't suddenly, you know, uh, things that I had memorized and that I'd performed many times, I was I was tripping over the words because my, I couldn't remember them. Mm. So um, yeah, I there's a whole other story about how my identity then was completely changed after this book. And, and again, that's a topic that perhaps at some point I might write about, but I feel like it's still too raw. Like the illness yeah. is still affecting me uh, too, too much. Um, and I, and I share about that, you know, in the podcast and also on social media, I'm actually like sort of trying to, trying to put numbers around um, how much of my time and how much of my, you know, life has been has been lost to, to the illness, which is challenging to do. Yeah, so, yeah. very very difficult to to manage. Mm -hmm. You feel the need to you need that energy to write. So I really hope that um, you start to feel a, that you're going through a, a more energetic phase soon. Because oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, you wouldn't know it. You're sitting there smiling, and um, I'm sure giving out lots of energy talking to us now. But yeah, I wish you well with that. And uh, I had a nice big coffee before we started. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, especially, I think it. You know, 
there'll be other people also struggling with chronic illness at this time but i think it's so important right now for everybody to take very very good care of themselves and uh, acknowledge when they need to rest and um, you know whether that's eating ice vovos or reading fiction you know in one way or another i think we all need to really look out for ourselves and for each other as well so um, i do hope you feel a, a better pretty soon thanks i appreciate that um well we've got another minute and a half to go and i thought i i know i think tracy's been posting links to your website and your social media but i should just say to everybody that um ashley's absolutely brilliant on social media um i've actually backed off quite a bit for my own kind of mental health reasons i've had to sort of step back a little bit but um I do know that Ashley's uh, engagement with Instagram is, is particularly is really, really fun and enjoyable. Oh. Um, so make sure you follow Ashley on Instagram and your website is also inspiring for me because I still haven't got mine together, unfortunately. Thank um, you. Actually, I, I will say if, um, if anybody's in a book club or knows people in a book club, I have a free book club discussion guide on my website so you can download that PDF. And also I have created some, um, uh, themed cocktails that go with the books. So if you want to have a really fun book club night, oh. go on my website and find those those recipes. Um, I highly recommend. Here's something a lot of Australians don't know about, but there's uh, lemon myrtle is a traditional bush uh, flavor, and there is there are distilleries in Australia that do a lemon myrtle liqueur, which is just my favorite thing. And just that with some tonic or soda water. Uh, just, oh my gosh, brilliant. So uh, Baker Williams Distillery in Mudgee, they do an amazing lemon myrtle liqueur, which you can get posted out to you. So uh, I, I highly, highly, if you, you know, if you like to have a cocktail, uh, and often when I do an event, I'll actually have one, but 10.30 in the morning felt like <laughs> early to be pulling out the cocktail. So I stuck with, I stuck with the team, Vicky's today. <laughs> Thank you for that tip. I think that it, what, what's not to love, really? Cocktails and book clubs, you know? Um, yes. That does sound amazing. Sorry, I have to ch chime in there. Wow, that sounds so good. I don't think you need the book club just to have the cocktail. <laughs> exactly. You can, actually, one of, one of my readers posted that she'd gotten the lemon myrtle liqueur and she posted a picture of herself drinking that and reading. And I just, that just made me so happy that as an author, I felt like that was a high watermark for me. I think well, I actually manage the book clubs here for the City of Marion Library Service. So um, I will pass all of that information oh, to wow. our, our 25 groups. And um, I will also arrange to buy um, eight of your books as a new set for our lovely oh. groups to read next year, which I've also done with Catherine's book, The Things She Owns. So, um, yes, and I will send the recipe for some of those cocktails along with that set to oh. our our book groups. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tracy. That's so exciting. Um, I guess at an hour, if there's anything else you wanted to add, Ash, I'm not sure, but it sounds like maybe Tracy is this sort of wrapping up time. It is, unless there was anything else, Ashley, you wanted to leave us with today. Just to say thank you to both of you, Catherine. That was a fantastic set of questions. It was just a, just a such a joy talking to you about this. Um, I'm so glad we've gotten to do Likewise. this now. And, uh, and thank you, Tracy. This was a fantastic event. And it's so great to see, you know, City of Marion Library supporting Australian authors like this and, and doing these kinds of events. And thank you to everyone who came out to listen today. It was just a real, it was just a real joy to get to share these things with you. So thank you.
Great, excellent. So yes, um, that is it for the time we have today. So we don't want to keep you ladies any longer. I know Catherine's got to get onto that food-based memoir because yeah. when she finishes that, she's going to come and visit us and talk about that in person with the City Marion Libraries. And we look forward to um, having you back, Ashley, with your um, next book as well. So thank you so much, ladies, um, for joining us today. It has been a delight and a pleasure and for introducing us to your uh, funny, honest and thought-provoking book, which sounds an absolute delight to read um, and it certainly sounds like you've adapted to the eccentricities of the Australian life of which there are many so I've got my copy ready to go and can't wait to start reading it um, over a Tim Tan Slam or something like that and again thanks for sharing your debut Vovo venture with us too it was wonderful <laughs> it was so gross that's amazing yeah. Um, Ashley's book uh, can be purchased and Catherine's as well at Imprints Booksellers in the city and Matilda's Bookshop in Stirling or from your local bookstore. So please support local. And of course, it can be borrowed from your library as well. And please keep following the Marion Library's Facebook page, the City of Marion website and check your inbox to be kept up to date on all of the upcoming Library Through the Lens presentations and workshops. So thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, we hope you will join us at our next... Um, presentation. Thank you, ladies. Thanks very Great much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.